entire bag of trash out. And what do you know that a little bitty one-year-old little girl decided to throw away mommy's key? And so uh, we thank God that we found it. But this morning, we're going to be talking about how God loves to find the lost. He rejoices when he finds his lost, and he searches for them. And there is great relief when he finds them. And I don't know if there was anyone in this place today who's gone so far to where you think you can't make it back, but there's good news. God is strong enough to find you and to carry you back to himself. And that's an awesome God. That's an awesome God. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one until, uh, after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you, in that same way, there will be more joy in heaven. Everybody say, more joy. More joy joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let me give you a little background. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had sheep before, but I'm told that sheep are kind of stupid. And sheep are prone to wander. And if they don't have a fence or they don't have a shepherd or a shepherd dog, they generally will scatter at the sight of anything. And one may generally wonder. So they, sheep need a shepherd. And what a shepherd would do is because this sheep, often a shepherd maybe didn't always own the sheep, but if he did, that sheep is valuable to him. That's his salary. That's his family's food on the table for that wool. And uh, he loves it. He's cared for it. And, but it's valuable. It has a price to him. And so he's not willing, and shepherds aren't a rich group, they're not willing that any one of them should fall away because that is a valuable piece of property. Uh, But not only that, but he loves his sheep. And so he's willing to do, and what he does is, he doesn't leave the 99 alone in the field, but there are often other shepherds. So they are safe and secure. Sheep are safer in numbers, but they're safer with other uh, hirelings or under-shepherds. And so he will go into the barren wilderness to find that one lost sheep because it will soon die on its own. And it doesn't even know that it's lost half the time until it gets to a place where it can't come back. And the same thing is for this uh, jewels, these coins. In a Jewish society... Uh, the young women often wore a headband or a necklace or some sort of thing that it was like our wedding ring, and it had ten coins or ten silver coins in it. And so to lose one of those coins would be like losing your diamond in your wedding ring. And so Jesus kind of gives, how many ever lost part of your wedding ring, right? And so you're looking around for that diamond. That's the same idea that Jesus is saying here. So he speaks to the men about men's stuff for a little bit, and then he speaks to the women in the way that they understand. So Jesus kind of relates to all people. And so, uh, and then in ancient houses, it would be dark. And so she would light that little lamp and search and sweep up the house and find all the corners to find it. When I look at this passage, 
I think about how sometimes we can view those people, or maybe ourselves, we call ourselves Christians, or they're so-called Christians, they say, well, they're just straying a little bit. Or we look in and we say, well, they're just kind of playing around in God, or, or they're, they're coming and playing church. The Bible says that those people are, in fact, lost. That straying sheep doesn't realize it's lost, but straying leads it to be lost. Or that, that precious gem or that precious uh, coins, that when it's not carefully kept in a good locked place or cared for, it easily becomes lost. You don't let your kids play with your wedding rings or your valuable jewels because it's valuable to you, and we know that it can get easily lost. What really is lost? You really think about it, or you look in the Bible, it will define lost as coming into sin, and sin is falling short of God's glorious standards and His perfection. It's rebellion. And it separates us from Him. And Isaiah chapter 56 says that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us is turned to his own way. I think about that old song, uh, Come Thou Fount. We don't really sing it here so much, but it talks about, says, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's so true. We are all very prone to wander. And sometimes we wander without even knowing it. And easily we can be lost without even knowing it. If unless we keep ourselves in the safety of the Master's hand, knowing the Master's voice, responding to His call, in fellowship with one another, Jesus says it is so easy. Oftentimes we find ourselves lost. And that is the status of the world today. But let's talk about this passage. We're going to break it down a little bit this morning to know this, that when... You should know today that you belong to God. You know that? You belong to God. Man, that's awesome. Really think about it. You belong to God Almighty. Man, can you think about that? Just let it set for a moment. I don't want to hurry this. You belong to God. You have value to God. That's amazing. That really is amazing. But when you're not with Him... You lose your value, you lose your purpose. And Jesus is saying you need salvation. Sometimes some people are so too busy straying, looking for something better. Others are too busy playing self-righteous games. But God has a rescue mission if we're willing to repent and be found. And the Bible says Jesus come, He has come to seek and save the lost. And His grace, I'm going to break it down this way, His grace intercedes... His grace initiates and His grace intervenes if we're willing to repent and receive it. Let's break it, break it down like this way. Look in, uh, if you've got your Bible, keep your finger in Matthew chapter 18. But say with me in Luke, Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. Jesus has come, He has come to seek, and He has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You are valuable to Him. You have purpose in Him, and He loves you so very much. And He has been willing to come, to come and seek, and to come and seek and save. And we're going to break this out to understand that grace intercedes. The first one is grace intercedes. What does that mean? Grace intercedes for you. Matthew chapter 18 tells us that we, we have a compassionate God. 
verse 10, it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. In verse uh, 14, It's not the will of your Father who is in heaven that any one of these little ones should perish. Do you know what I love about this? It tells me that God is rooting for me. Just to think about it, you, you are so valuable to God. Those, those who will find God, those who are having faith in God and put their faith into God, those who are His, He says He has placed His ministering angels to be with them and to watch them. He says that your angel has the attention of God Almighty. The Bible talks about Daniel. And when Daniel was trying to pray a prayer, the angel was the one trying to bring the prayer of victory back to him. That God cares so much about your prayers, he has an angel, a ministering angel. He says that your angel has the attention of God, so the world better be careful. Other people, they better be careful because you have God's attention. Man, you think about it. You have God's attention. That in heaven, that, that the angels of God are attending to you and I. That they are fight, helping us fight our spiritual battles. That they are ministering to us. The Bible says in the garden that Jesus was ministered to by an angel. Gave him strength. That God cares enough about his sheep. Cares enough about his sheep that he watches over us. That he's rooting for us. And the Bible says that, you know, we're but dust, but God has compassion on us. Even as a father has compassion on his children, God has compassion on us even though we're dust. How amazing that God is not willing to even let one person go. That He is interceding for you and I. That He has put in place a plan for Jesus Christ to come. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come. Everybody say, come. Come. This is an action word. He says that He came, Jesus says He came to do His Father's will. And that God so loved the world that He sent His Son to come, be born as a man, redeem and adopt us as His children. And Christ agreed to come and to be what? He came to be our high priest. He came to make intercession for us, to make atonement for our sin. But not only to just pray for us, but to sacrifice His very self to make a way, an intercession. God's grace intercedes for you. God is so very good that He attends to you, that He is uh, thinking about you night and day, that He longs for communion with you, that He's such a good God that He's put His angels to encamp about you, to attend to your prayers, to give you victory in your prayers, to, uh, when, though, when you put your life in Him in faith, that He is watching out for your best interest. And you have not only that, but a high priest that He sent to you to come to you to intercede for you. You have the best defense attorney heaven can buy. Ain't no money. It's the blood of Jesus. You have the best defense attorney. Because you had the worst prosecuting attorney. The devil was going to ruin you, take you down to the pit of hell with him. But God, for pro bono, no, no price to pay. You couldn't afford this attorney. But God sent you the best defense attorney to intercede for you. Man, that's good. That's good news. Because the Lord knows we needed some help. And we couldn't do it on our own, so grace interceded for us. Man, that's good. Next thing that you have, when I think about this, when I think, when you can, if you make, take a moment and you really think about it, what does it do to you that God thought enough of you to send His Son to die for you? What should it do for you? 
when you really believe that God loves you so very much, does it change you? Does it motivate you? Does it fill you with joy? Does it give you peace? Because there's a lot of things, let me be honest, there's a lot of things you can focus on today. There's a lot of things that can fill your mind, full of doubt, disbelief. You can think about the pain and suffering you're going through. You can think about all the problems you have. But what does it do to you when you think that grace interceded for me? That grace sent His Son, God's grace sent His Son to die for me. That He became my defense. I hope it overwhelms you. That you don't forget it. Even David said, forget none of the Lord's benefits. Bless the Lord, all my soul. I have to tell myself, remind myself, grace has interceded for me. Christ has become my defense. Next thing is, grace initiates. Grace intercedes and grace initiates. John chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus said, I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but He sent me. God had a secret plan, Paul said, from the beginning of time. It was the mystery of of Jesus Christ. It would never before revealed, but through the apostles, they re- God revealed this mysterious plan of Jesus Christ. It was the promised plan of God to seek and to save the lost. That Jesus Christ would come, but He wouldn't just come, but He would begin to seek. Seek the lost. I think about a God that so loved us that He was willing to work this whole plan out to bring the good news of salvation. Bible says to Jew and to Gentile alike. And Jesus says, I have come to draw all men to myself. He will draw all men to himself. Look at this passage. It says that the tax collectors and all these really bad people were coming to Jesus to hear him. Why? Because the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord, or that nobody can come to the Father, lest he, or come to the Son, lest the Father draws him. That no man can come unless the Spirit of the Lord draws him. That Jesus Christ, the Spirit, God the Father, are drawing people to himself. You can't even come to God on your own. He has to, in grace, give you the opportunity to draw to him. And that he is willing. And all these tax collectors, why are they coming to Jesus? Because the Spirit is drawing. They know they're a sinner. They know they're helpless. They know that this guy has answers, and they're drawn to him. It's like that lady with the light and the lamp. The light comes on, and we begin to see things more clearly now, that there's revelation of who Jesus Christ really is, that he loved us so very much to not only just to come, but to begin to seek after me. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek. God pursues the lost. He doesn't accept that even one sinner would die in eternity without him. What does it mean to seek? What does it mean to go after something which you've lost to seek for? You know, you can't just simply, when we lost those keys, or you've lost something, you can't just simply wish for it to return. You've got to really do something about it. When it's lost, when you have a sheep that wanders away and it doesn't know that it's lost, or you, you have a coin that or your diamond ring is lost in your house, you can't just be like, oh, well, I hope it finds its way back to me. God was willing to take initiative, but not just to say, well, I gave them the, the I put the Bible, you know, in, in the church houses. I hope they just find it someday. You know, or I, I wrote him a message on, on a cave somewhere. I hope they read that and just really get it. Or I, or I, I told this one guy, I hope he taught. No, God was willing to seek after every person. And His Spirit is always working and, and moving and motivating people to say, I want you to know me. 
You don't understand. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. He is willing to take action to search, to look for, to attempt to find, to take action. Man, I wish the church would be a people of action. Man, I wish the kingdom of God, a a, a city on a hill, that we would be uh, a people of action, just like our Lord, just like who is willing to seek. You ever played that game hide-and-seek when you were a kid? That was one of the things we used to do all the time outside of the church. I was never very good at it, especially in you know, the summer days. It's hard to play hide-and-seek in the daytime. But why? Because the light. God is lighting up dark places. He comes to seek and to save. He says, like that woman who lights up her house, she says, I am the light of the world. He says, I'm coming to illuminate. I'm coming to rescue them from the dominion of darkness to give you the light of life. And in Luke chapter 179, verse 79, he says, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. I can picture so many people, even you and I, that it was a time in our life that, that, that spiritually speaking, we were sitting alone in a dark corner, unaware of the hell that it was our future, that there was nothing but tra- tragedy ahead, there was nothing but eternal torment and damnation, uh, where the devil would have his way with us, or we would be burning in a lake of fire. We're not even aware of the decisions that we make every day that lead us to an eternity without God, that we struggle through this life, trying to make it on our own, wondering why we don't have peace, why don't we have joy, why don't we have strength, why aren't my finances working out, why is my my marriage falling apart? Why are my kids in rebellion? And all the while, we have no clue that we're sitting there alone in the darkness. But Jesus says, I've come to light up the dark. I've come to set them free. I'm coming to bring a revelation to them that I'm going to save them, those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And knowing this, what a tragedy it is for God when someone doesn't accept Him. A God who's put so much effort, so much power, so much energy to seek and to save the lost. How sad He really is when one soul enters eternity without knowing Him. He's shed everything. He's spent everything to save us, even if we don't even know we're lost. I don't know if you're here today, but it's a lie of the devil that God is not interested in your life. It's a lie of the devil that he is far off, that he's not working on your behalf. I want to ask you, if you are willing to stop running, stop doubting, stop pretending, and let God light up your life. Or maybe you're here today, and some of us, we've grown up in church. We've grown up knowing in the fear of the Lord. We've grown up knowing that we are the sheep of His pasture. But does that love for God motivate us in such a way to love the lost? It's kind of like this. When you're married, you tend to begin to love what your wife or your spouse loves. When we got married, I hated roller coasters. Beth loves roller coasters. She's a roller coaster fanatic. We rode almost, like, went to the biggest theme park in the U.S. with the biggest roller coaster. Rode every single one of them. Several years ago, I would have not done that. But because I love my wife and I am willing to compromise for a healthy and happy marriage, I know <laughs> that I should ride roller coasters. So now, I'll ride any roller coaster you put in front of me. I might not just enjoy it, but I'll do it. And I've grown to love it more when I was a, you know, scared little man before. But uh, do you love God in such a way that you love what He loves? That's real love. I may not always like to go out and witness. 
I may not always like to kind of put myself out there and talk to that waitress or that waiter. I may not always like to stop what I'm doing. And, and it may be hard for me. Maybe it's hard for you. But do you love God enough to love what He loves? Are you willing to love God enough to follow Him as He seeks after the lost? To go where He's willing to go? Do you turn your love into a love for the lost? God is searching for the lost, and are you following Him? Is your light shining in dark places? And I think about it, I was thinking about it as I was writing this message and praying. You know, Christ is the head. And he says his church is the body. And he's left his body here on earth to do his will, his hands and his feet. And can I even claim, can we even claim to be his body if we're not doing what his head is saying to do? That'd be kind of dysfunctional, wouldn't it? We call that, you know, uh, those, those are called brain injuries or spinal injuries. When, when the head and the body don't link up, the, it's not functional, it's not healthy. And I wonder, if we're not seeking the lost, can we even claim to be His church? If we don't have a heart to, for the lost, to follow Him into the lost. I, had a, I read a missionary one time who was uh, seeing great and mighty things in, in South America, and just uh, miracles and miracles and, and, and exorcisms, just mighty moves of God, great crusades, millions coming to the lost, or coming, uh, who are lost, now found. And uh, someone asked him, he says, Brother, why do you see so much? Why is all this happening and not in America? And he says, because God is in the wilderness. And if you want to see God move, you've got to go to the wilderness. He's seeking and saving the lost. You've got to go where God is. You want to see God in action? Go where He is. God is concerned. He has come, and He has come to seek. And so grace intercedes, and grace initiates. We need to be a church, a type of people who is initiating contact with the lost. God is initiating conversations with the lost. When that lost person, your friends, your family, your sons or daughters, care nothing about God, you know that God is the one making that radio announcement come on at the right time. God is the one letting that billboard they drive by just catch their eye. God is the one who's, who's letting people just pass through their lives at unique times and orchestrating it all out, that God is initiating the efforts to see them saved. That's the kind of God you and I serve. He is an initiator of His grace. And the next one is grace intervenes. Grace intercedes, grace initiates, and grace intervenes. Thank God He doesn't just talk about it. Thank God He doesn't just put a little effort out there, but God goes all the way to save us. Scripture states that God is near to the brokenhearted, the oppressed, the afflicted. He's willing to take action on our behalf and that He intervened in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 by giving us a new oath, a new covenant through Jesus Christ. The Son of Man has come, He's come to seek, and He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And how does He save us? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. The Bible says, or Jesus said, when the shepherd has found it, what does he do to that sheep? He takes it, and I, and I don't know if maybe your life is a little bit like this. When I try to catch my dog... What does she like to do? She likes to run away from me. I'm trying to put that leash on her, and she knows, get over here. And that thing, she just looks. She's like, ah, and then she runs, right? Some of us like that are with God. You know, he's like, come here, I want to carry you back to me. And we're doing these loop-de-loops around the yard, and he's trying to chase you. But God, or Jesus says that he takes that sheep, 
when he finds it, what does he do? He puts it on his shoulders and he carries it back to the flock. Now look at this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It says that he, Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. For you are continually straying like sheep. But now you've returned to the shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Now get this. Just as the shepherd puts the sheep on his shoulders, so Jesus Christ has bore your sin, despising the shame for the joy set before him on his shoulders on the cross. He took that cross beam all the way to the place of the skull, died on Calvary, and carried you back to himself. Now that's worth shouting about, that Jesus Christ, on just like that shepherd's shoulders, took you upon his shoulders. Amen? God is so good. God is so good. His shoulders are strong enough to carry you. His shoulders are strong enough to carry your sins. His shoulders are strong enough to carry your weakness, your doubts, your worries, your fears, your past, your regrets, your shame. Christ bears us on His shoulders. That is a good God. That is a God worth worthy of our praise. When you couldn't find your way back to Him, and you didn't have the strength to return to Him, He carried you back to Himself. He carried you back to Himself. Are you weak today? Are you far from God? Or maybe you're just struggling on some issues in your life that seem so very heavy that you can't even pick yourself up in the morning. You can't even get out of bed. You can't even motivate yourself to see a future ahead for your life. But Jesus Christ can carry you. Psalms 103 says, So great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He's removed our transgressions from us. Why did He do it? You know, He didn't have to. Why did He do it? Why did He do so much for you? Why is His grace, His unmerited favor, that means undeserved favor, it wasn't deserved why did he have to do it? He didn't have to, but why did he want to do it? What does he say in that verse when he says, when I put those sheep on my shoulders and I take them back to the flock, he says, there is joy. There is a party. There is a celebration. There is excitement. There is thanksgiving. Not because of what he did, but because you're with him again. Think about it. He willingly sacrificed it. The Bible says in Hebrews that he willingly went to the cross for the joy set before him. You know what it was? It was looking ahead to a time when you would be with him in eternity. That Jesus willingly endured suffering. Yeah, he despised the shame. Yes, it was un, uh, unbecoming of such a great king and it was painful. But it wasn't even that. He, got to, he separated himself from his father, which is in him. He, uh, Philippians tells us that he became as a man, a, a bondservant to, to save the world. Die a cursed death on a cross that he was willing to endure it, not because he knew he could, not because it was going to make him awesome, not because he would get some kind of glory out of it necessarily, but that for the joy of being with you. How can you not serve a God like that? How can that message not win the whole world that there is joy in the presence of angels over one sinner who is repenting? God is so overjoyed by being with you 
that he invites all of heaven to rejoice with him. That's awesome. One person comes to Jesus, he says, hold on heaven, let's have a party. It's worth it for him. Man, that's a good God. That's a good God. I think of the joy, Jesus says, for the joy I endured the cross. What a day of rejoicing it will be. What a day of rejoicing it will be when we all get to heaven. When that, when that man, think of that party. When, if, if every time now one person is saved, heaven is rejoicing. Just think when we've all finally made it on that great glorious day at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When all of heaven says it is finished, let's have a shout. Says there will be only 30 minutes of silence in heaven because the rest of heaven is just going to be an explosion of joy. It's going to be worth fighting for. It's worth waiting for. Think of it. Christ was looking ahead, saying there's joy ahead. With such love for you, how can we not wholeheartedly respond to this God? The kindness of God, Paul says, leads us to repentance. And I love what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall you say to all these things? What are you going to say to all this? What do you, what do you go home today, taken away? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? If God has His angels for you, if grace has interceded for you, if grace has initiated contact with you, if grace has intervened for you, how, what shall we say, if God is for me, what can man do to me? What, what, what shall I fear if God is on my side? If the joy set before Him, we're willing to do all that. There is a place I'm looking forward to. Paul said, pressing forward for the upward call of Christ Jesus. I have the joy of the Lord as my strength. Amen? Are you willing to endure, church, for the joy set before you? And are you willing? And are we for joy? excited about people to come to know Jesus. That same kind of joy, it says the Apostle Paul said, for all this kind of a joy, he is willing to endure such sacrifice. He has snake-bitten, rocky places he was shipwrecked on and, and stoned and left for dead. Willing to do all of that because there he knows there's a place prepared for all of us. There is joy ahead. Do I think that's such a valuable prize? Do I look forward to that joy and say, man... I want to get this person saved. I want to lead them to the kindness of God. I want to show them what kind of God I serve and what kind of God loves them. And I am overjoyed. That joy motivates you to witness. That joy, it's not work, church. So many people try to preach you condemnation and say, if you don't witness, you're not the real church. Or, or, you know, you should be doing this. And it's like guilt doesn't motivate me. But joy, joy leads you to some greater place it motivates you, excites you, it gives you energy. And we should be a church that's overjoyed to say, we've got a good message that it's worth talking about. Amen? We, we can't stop talking about it. And when I go to Walmart, may I just be overjoyed to just begin to share how beautiful it is to know Jesus Christ. How wonderful that God thinks of you, that His angels are looking over. They want the best for you, that God has sent His Son to come and to seek and to save. How can we not? share that story. How can we not look forward to it? Man, and now some of those people are lost. They're bitter. They're yelling. They don't know that they're mean and cranky, right? But your joy has got to be bigger. Amen? 
you can't let it get to, to you. It's looking ahead. Jesus knew that it was painful now, but look ahead. When you look at that lost person, and you're going to that coworker, and you're out there in the oil field, or maybe you're at school, and you say, wow, this is really rough. This person is really a hard case. Jesus didn't look at that. He said, I know what they can be. I know who they really are when they're with me. When they're really healthy, when they're full of the Holy Spirit, it's for joy. It's for joy. Are you willing to endure sacrifice today for the joy of seeing other people saved? Does that joy motivate us to go and seek after the lost, to intervene just like Jesus did? God is good. God is so very good that He has come, not only come, but He came to seek, and He just didn't seek, but He came to seek and to save. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Worship team, would you come back? Today, it's a very simple message. That's all that is needed. Jesus Christ loves you so very much. He wants what's best for you. He's willing to put you on His shoulders and carry you back to Himself. He is willing to light up your darkness, to seek out the dark places of this world for every single soul. He's not willing for one person to die and to go to hell. He loves them that much. Heaven wants to rejoice with you. Heaven is rejoicing over you when you come to Him. And first and foremost, before we talk about the church, I want to talk to you today. If you in this place, you say, Pastor Heath, I'm lost. Just like those people, something's been drawing me to God. God's been drawing me back to Himself. I know just like these tax collectors and all these sinners that were coming just to hear Jesus, for some reason I'm here today, God's been stirring in my heart. I know that I've been wayward, I've been wandering, I've been not all into God. I've been thinking I was just kind of in and out. But no, I, I really recognize that there's no playing around. I'm either in with God, in the flock, or I'm out. God wants you all in today. God doesn't want you to wander here and now. Because we're prone to that. And before you know it, you'll be lost. If you've been wandering today, trying to do things on your own way, trying to figure your life out on your own, looking for your own plans, thinking of nothing else but yourself, your interests, not thinking of God, Slacking, maybe, you, maybe you've been slacking in your relationship with Him and you say, Pastor Heath, I need to get it right with God today. I want Jesus Christ to be the center of my life. I want to be saved. And if I died today, I don't know where I would spend eternity. If that's you, today is for you. All of heaven is waiting right now in anticipation for this decision that you're about to make. You've got to make it wholeheartedly. You've got to surrender to let Jesus Christ pick you up. And you've got to let Him carry you. But they're ready to rejoice. You say, Pastor Heath, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I've wandered. I'm ready to come home. That's you. I just want, you to, I want to pray with you today. If you would just look at me, raise your hand or make some motion. I just want to pray that. Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Man, that's wonderful. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's me. I want peace with Jesus. Ready to come home. 
Man. That's you and you truly mean it. The Bible says that He is faithful and just to forgive us. But we have to confess our sins, turn from them, repent, turn the other direction. Make a decision. It's not about our weight raising of hands. It's not about coming down to an altar. It's about what your life will tell the world from this moment on, that Jesus Christ is Lord, Master, and Savior. He's your friend. And so if you would pray a prayer like this, not about the words that I pray, about what your heart is praying, but I'm going to lead us as a congregation. If that's you, we just pray something similar like this. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent. Lord, I want to turn around. I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to give you the ownership of my life. I want to submit to your will. Save me. Cleanse me. Wash me by your blood. Lord, I ask you to be your Holy Spirit to come into my heart. And Lord, with everything that I got, Lord, I give it to you. I accept you, Lord Jesus. Jesus' name. Very simple. Very simple. And how about we just give a praise right now with heaven today for those who prayed that prayer in a minute. Hallelujah. Lord. Amen. Jesus. God is good. So good. We thank you, Lord God. We praise you. Lord, and I thank you for every person in this place who's already made that decision. God, that we have a celebration, something to look forward to today. Lord, and every person who is in the fold today, that we would be so motivated by your grace, by your love, or that it would in turn help us to have a love for the lost, to love what you love, to go where you're going, God, for the joy of seeing other people saved. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Heath, I need God's joy to motivate me to be doing a better job of evangelism. I believe God wants to move us and. One of the ways of revival is because we get the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is seeking and searching out for the lost. And we've got to be in tune with that, right? And so may we submit to the Lord and say, God, for the joy of seeing people saved, may I be filled with that same kind of... How many people want that today? I want to be filled with the same kind of joy that Jesus endured the cross for, that I want to look forward to seeing all my family and friends in heaven, that God's joy would be guiding us and filling us today. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to have... I want to I ask the worship team to sing this song. Because there is going to be a time of celebration. And it's so hard sometimes in this day.